can't be a great follower if you've never tried to lead. It, it's impossible to really understand everything that's going into that, that leader's position and their role and what they're trying to navigate if you've never attempted to do yourself. I mean, that would be your classic armchair quarterback as they watch a football game on Sunday just saying, oh, you should have done that, you should have done that. It's, like, it's really hard to tell an NFL quarterback what they should have done if you've never played an NFL quarterback. Welcome to the Business of Speed podcast with Nick Bratton and Steve Brattenstein. From their 25 years of experience in business and training, Nick and Steve will bring you insight, research, and industry thought leaders on all matters of business, leadership, and training. This show will help all professionals improve the growth of their business, coaching knowledge, and leadership ability. As coaches and leaders, you are asked to wear many hats. Let them help you manage this balancing act with the Business of Speed podcast. Welcome to the second episode of the Business of Speed podcast. Uh, this is your host, Nick Bratton, here with Steve Breitenstein. Uh, today, we are going to be covering the evaluation process uh, and specifically how it relates to speed and what we are looking at. In our leadership segment, we are going to talk about leadership platforms and how different individuals have the opportunity to lead within groups. And then finally, for the business piece, we're going to talk about developing the personal brand. So we're going to build off of the topic that we covered in our first episode. So I'm looking forward to getting into all of that content. Uh, before we do, I just want to catch up with Steve and what we've got going on in the facility. Steve, how is everything going up there in Chicago? Yeah, man, it's going good. Um, with the, this was just the holiday weekend here around Thanksgiving time. With the COVID situation, we have more college athletes in town than ever before during this period. Um, so we're juggling a lot of those athletes coming back into the facility, looking to do privates, looking to do evaluations, looking to jump into a group, creating groups that allow them to train during the days, which has been pretty fun to kind of navigate that. High schools up here in Illinois right now are still not coming in person. So we're going to be doing some Zoom training for them coming up in this week where we'll be leading it. And then in facility, we're a bit limited on our capacity. So it's small groups, about five athletes at a time and then privates uh, we also implemented our outdoor training this uh, past week that went really really well even though it's cold here in Chicago we are crushing on all fronts as far as that goes um, new staff member joining us this coming week uh, so kind of giving updates as far as applying what we talk about with leadership and brand development um, as a new coach from outside the facility is joining us so we got a lot happening in facility, uh, navigating groups, privates, new coaches. So I look forward to sharing updates on all that in future episodes for sure. Nick, what do you guys got going New Orleans at Bratton Sports Performance? Wow, that is that is definitely a lot going on. And I don't know how I feel about uh, that polar training you guys have going on up there. <laughs> I remember the winners in Indianapolis and, and uh, I just, I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> um, you know, we are, we're a lot of the same, uh, coming off the, uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, actually, as I sit here, I have four new text messages from college athletes that are, um, either back until January, you know, a lot of the colleges that we deal with or athletes that we deal with, um, the athletes are coming home for Thanksgiving and they're just not going back until mid-January. And so uh, it's kind of nice from our standpoint because there are some guys that I'm going to have for eight weeks leading up to their baseball season. 
Um, and so, you know, I'm really looking forward to making the most out of this because typically we get them for two or three weeks max. And so um, really looking forward to that. Uh, it is a bit of an odd year. Most of our fall sports are done by about this week. But, uh, you know, the football season back down here got backed up. The state championship isn't even until the last week of the year. Um, and so, you know, that's really thrown off a lot of our basketball guys and, and even some of our volleyball girls, their season is really off. And so, um, you know, I feel like every week is an adventure. And so we just uh, kind of roll with the punches and, and do what we can. We're the same way down here as far as limited capacity in the facility. Um, however, we never really have uh, extremely large numbers based on our business model. And so um, it's not too big of a deal. But yeah, definitely uh, just kind of rolling with the punches day to day. Yeah, I know for us here in Illinois, they uh, have suspended the basketball season for the winter. Really? Uh, so we actually have an influx in a few of those basketball athletes that also are like, hey, season just got put on hiatus. Can I get it in train? So on wow. top of the college kids we weren't expecting, now we have some of our high school basketball guys that, and gals that are in for two, three weeks maybe. How many sessions can I get in? It, it's just like this random period of time where they weren't expecting to be able to try to improve speed and jumping and strength. Right. So we're trying to take advantage of that as much as possible as well. And I know this is going to lead right into our training concept of the week, but navigating, evaluating where these athletes are at right. um, as they're coming back into the facility and saying, hey, can you jump into a group? Do you need to be doing private work for a little while? Uh, are you injured coming back from college and you actually need to go and work with a PT for a little while before we can really get you back up to speed? And I know that the evaluation goes way beyond just watching them sprint and then telling them what to do. So Nick, can you give us a little bit of a, an insight into what you're doing in your evaluation process? Some of that baseline, just watching them sprint, timing them sprint, but then also let's, let's talk about what goes beyond that that really influences how we train our athletes. Yeah, absolutely. So we start all of our evaluations with an FMS. Uh, we just, you know, it's, it's a good kind of baseline measure to see them move, to move in a controlled uh, piece or position before we uh, get really dynamic with things. So we're going to go through that FMS first. Once we get done with that, we'll go through um, a dynamic warm-up. Uh, and, and again, even that warm-up is, is going to be part of that evaluation process. Uh, so, you know, looking at what they look like just in, in traditional gait. Uh, after we get done with that, then we'll move into some more of our athletic measures. Um, and, and even before we move into that, uh, just looking at their physical makeup, you know, what, what do they look like as they're walking? Uh, you know, one of the things that, that you and I talked about before we started the show, uh, you know, I, I like to look at, um, it muscular tone and definition, you know, the, the set of the calves or, or even, you know, where the, the gastroc is, is going to tell me a lot. You know, if we have an athlete that comes in that has a really, really high calf, uh, a long Achilles tendon, those are typically those athletes that um, are a little springier in nature and tend to be a little more reactive. Uh, also paying attention to uh, just what the foot contact looks like. Are they athletes that tend to walk uh, more on the front of their foot? Do they have a heavy heel strike? Do they tend to be uh, a pronator um, as they go through their gait? And so paying attention to those things because those are going to give me a lot of information uh, before we get started with anything else. Uh, then again, we get into the athletic evaluation. And so we go through uh, a battery of jump tests, a static jump, a counter movement jump, a depth jump, uh, an approach jump off one foot and two feet. And so 
evaluating all of those things. You know, one of the things that we're looking for is uh, just consistency. Are they consistent in any of those jump patterns? Because that's going to give me information on just their um, movement efficiency, uh, their even their movement effectiveness, uh, how long they've been training for, you know, there, there are athletes that come in that there's not a lot of consistency in their jumps because they just don't have a long athletic career. You know, we talk about the ages of athletes, their chronological age, their training age, their athletic career or, or their competition age, all of these come into effect. And so if we're working with an athlete that, you know, has only been training for a year, uh, has only been practicing for a year, but has been doing some, you know, uh, pickup games, backyard games, playground stuff, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a little more work that needs to be done. And so, you know, we're evaluating all of those things. Uh, so consistency in the jumps. But also as we go through jumps, uh, like our counter movement, our depth, uh, even our approach jumps, paying attention to uh, the loading strategies. You know, are, are the loading strategies efficient? Are there things that we saw in the FMS that um, are leading to issues as we go through that jump profile? Um, and, and the jump profile can be a little bit misleading too, because, you know, when we go through that, we'll start out with the static. If that looks good and we feel comfortable with it, then we'll move into our counter movement. If that looks good and we feel comfortable, you know, so on and so forth. Um, we're not necessarily taking our nine and 10 year olds and asking them to do, you know, a, a single leg approach jump uh, may not be the, the best test for them. So we're looking at, at all of those things. Um, then we'll look at, you know, a broad jump, a lateral bound. Um, we'll go into our sprints, but even things like a single leg hop test where we're gonna have them do a single leg hop for 10 yards. We'll time how long it takes them to, to cover that distance, but we'll also count the number of hops, you know? And so we're evaluating that, their ability to accept and produce force through that single leg. Uh, but also, again, what is the foot contact like? Uh, are they uh, landing on the heel and rolling forward? Do they tend to stay up on the front of their foot? Uh, what does the shin angle look like as we're making contact with the ground? So a lot of those things, we could take the 10 and 20 yard sprint out and, and I can evaluate a lot of those things. And that's going to tell me what the sprint is going to look like, you know, based on our ability to organize ourselves, get in a certain posture and position um, and create that force as we go through it. And so, you know, that evaluation process is extremely important. Uh, one, we're creating the baseline, but two, it's just giving us as coaches a bit of an idea of, you know, where are we going to start in their program? You know, there was, uh, a guy that I worked with uh, this week for the first time, division one baseball player, uh, had him going through a bit of the evaluation. And um, after going through a couple of his jumps, just didn't feel really good about having him go through some sprints. You know, he, he tend to uh, cast out with, with his stride on a couple of different things. And we went through uh, some of the form running drills and, you know, we talked about hamstring health and, and what his uh, past looked like. And so, um, you know, there are some indicators that, that we pick up through some of those drills that uh, tend to be important going into training. And so uh, that gives us that background. So when we go into that first training session, we know exactly what we're getting into and we're putting them in the best position to make the most out of day one through the end of that training cycle uh, and not kind of guessing our way through the, you know, second, third, fourth session. What about you guys? What does it look like for you? Yeah, I know we do kind of a modified FMS. Um, we were doing a full FMS and I think everybody kind of finds that evaluation that kind of works for your system. Uh, if, you're, if you're doing a solid screening and then your training is to better that athlete, 
or is it just the pattern of that screening allows you, we kind of just changed up a little bit. We were like, ah, you know what? We're seeing most of our athletes are struggling with this. So we do like an overhead squat test and we follow that up with our ankle mobility test, active straight leg raise um, as like our modified ones. And that, I know you touched on a couple times while you were talking was that idea of understanding their history is so important for many of our athletes to say, anything I should know about that's happened in the past. And oftentimes like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. And you start doing some of these tests and you're like, you ever roll your ankles or anything like that? You ever sprain your ankles? Oh yeah. I sprain my right one all the time. And you have a inch and a half difference on their ankle range of motion. If you're doing an ankle wall test, you know, and you're like, okay, well, did you ever rehab it? Or is it just one of those ones where you just kind of rolled it? Then after a week or two, you just were good again. Like, yeah, more like that. And so you start to kind of see those. And then all of a sudden you're doing those, those single leg hops, you're doing medial lateral hops and they're constantly collapsing on one foot. Um, those are the things that different things that we're trying to see, but like there's so much of that is so similar to what we do is you're just trying to get a big picture of what's going on. So we're going from those, those foundational uh, movement assessments and then the dynamic warmup where they're just watching them lunge, lateral lunge, SLBL, just looking for that, that knee collapsing um, through all of those movements. Then we're gonna do those single leg hops medial lateral forward backwards. Then we're gonna test their vertical jump, broad jump. We, we always say kind of like that, that random athlete that jumps higher from a static jump than from a counter movement jump. Uh, you see that happen with the younger athletes sometimes where they just don't have the coordination to dip and jump and you know that there's some strength there but they just aren't very plyometric yet. Um, then we do, a, we do our running portion. For sure we do the, the straight ahead sprints. We do, instead of a starting 10, we do a 10-yard sprint, but we give them a five-yard lead-in. Uh, and we do that test because it just – we're going crazy with trying to keep it consistent with a 10-yard start with the lasers where kids kept tripping it. They would learn how to rock backwards. And then they're, when we actually put them in a good starting position, then their times would get worse before they got better, much worse. And we were like, okay, this is just getting crazy. The kids are getting mad. So we just said, all right, here's five yards. Do whatever you do. And then 10 yards, we'll measure. Then we do that fly 10. And then we do um, the 180 cut, uh, which is a five-yard lead into the timers. You go through the timer, you run an additional five yards, touch right or left foot to the white line, sprint back to the timers. Uh, and it just takes away a little bit of the skill of the 5-10-5 sprint, where we all can play with that one and get people sharper and crisper at certain aspects of it to really reduce their time. This one's more of like more speed, more problems. The harder you run into it, the better you got to be able to decel and cut. And we film that stuff like crazy just so we can show them later on what their cutting really is looking like. And the video part of it is what's so huge on, on our end. And I know that you guys do a lot of video assessment too, to be able to just show the athletes, what are they looking like? What are they feeling compared to what they're seeing when they actually watch themselves? I know some kids tell me they've never seen themselves sprint. And I just had three of my high school guys. They all thought they were very fast. I showed all of them and they're like, that's not how I run. And I'm like, no, that's, that's you. They're like, no, no, that looks weird. And it, I think that's so powerful in that assessment too, is just having that, that film of what you do look like. And then also having quick access to film or pictures nearby to show what's ideal. And I know that's something that we talk about a lot as well with our evaluation process, but nothing yeah. too crazy. I mean, that, like you said, one of the things that is really beyond just the numbers and the video is that picture you create as the coach. No matter what assessment tool you're using or movement you're having them perform, it just helps create a picture of what's going on with the athlete. 
And then from there on, it's how do we incorporate that into the next training plan? How, what do we have as our time of window that we get to work with this athlete? What are really their goals? What do we feel like are their needs? Do they align well? Do we need to have a conversation about what's realistic? Or, you know, like there, there's so much of that that has to go in that evaluation process. Right. It's that, that constant conversation, which is so huge on our end. Right, right. What do you guys, you know, one of the things that I feel like we talk a lot about in our facility and, and one of the things that I feel like I've written a lot about uh, for our parents is how the evaluation process differs when we know that we have an athlete coming in from a sport preparing for another sport, you know? So uh, like one of the things that we deal a lot with is uh, our volleyball girls coming in from volleyball season and either preparing for club or say we've got a number that are preparing for track. Uh, and so, you know, there, there are some issues that we have to deal with from that standpoint. Football guys that are coming in from a season of football, getting ready to go into basketball in a couple of weeks, you know, yeah. and so there are a number of things that we have to do in, in our facility as far as, okay, how do we get you out of the improper patterns that you're in from that sport and prepare you for the demands of, of this sport? You know, what, what do you guys do up at TC Boost from that standpoint as far as, uh, or, you know, I, I guess it doesn't need to be specific to the facilities, but what do we as coaches need to be doing um, in order to make those adjustments? Because we know that every sport has uh, – some movement patterns that we're forced into or some, um, some issues that it creates that uh, may not be most beneficial for the sport we're going into. Yeah. I know on in our facility, it seems like most of the time when we're interacting with an athlete coming out of sport, the things that we're seeing, regardless of what sport they're going to go into, is they get into a very choppy kind of acceleration pattern and they get in a really squatted top end speed pattern where they just have lost the ability to really open up and have nice rhythm while they're moving. And that, that seems to be so detrimental for so many of them as they transition sports, where they just get in a certain movement pattern that they're in all the time, especially like you mentioned, those football players, volleyball, those sports where it's just kind of two-step accelerations and then you're kind of making contact with someone, or it's very rare that you're really opening up and really running full speed. And especially when they're transitioning in a track, that is one of the most dangerous ones I think that we run across is those athletes that are coming from a sport that's not allowed them to open up in a little while. And then they're trying to jump into a track practice. And yeah. so it's, it's that one for sure is kind of working on that rhythm, creating what we always say, big shapes as we get them training, even if it's not full speed, but it, it'd be a ton of our, our top end speed mechanics work in lieu of actually flying 10 performance work would be kind of the direction we're going is just try to get them out of that squatty position. What do you guys see as like really common things that are happening with those athletes as they're transitioning on your end? Well, I love that you bring that idea up because it's one of my favorite stories. You know, I had a, a football guy who was getting ready for, um, for the combine and we were working on 40 work and he was the same way, you know, just had issues really getting into that top end position and, um, and just feeling what that was supposed to feel like. And, and as we were going through training, there was a day where he finally did it. I mean, he finally got into that good position, got tall with a good hip height above the ground. Yeah. And I met him at the end of the track. And I mean, his eyes were wide open. And he's <laughs> like, coach, I, I just don't like that. I don't feel like I'm in control. And that's exactly right. You know, you have these agility-based athletes that are ready to break down at any moment. You know, he's a wide receiver. He's, he's ready to go into a cut at any moment. And so 
they don't want to see that center of mass above the ground. You know, they want to be able to get into that breakdown at any time. And so if they've been doing that for eight, 10, 12 years of their life, and now you're telling them, okay, we really need to get high off the ground. We really need to make sure that, you know, we are completely extended. That, that definitely feels like a position that's very out of control and hard for them because they don't have the ground contact that they normally have. So I, I love that. That is a, fun uh, position to be in an athlete yeah. to coach, but it's also very hard because, you know, again, they haven't been there before. Uh, you know, so some of the things that we deal with, the number one thing, and, and you talked about this in your evaluation process, ankle mobility. Ankle mobility, especially for our athletes going into, I mean, one, just going into training with us. You know, we've talked about the amount of speed work that we do, uh, but our athletes that are getting ready to go into track, you know, in sports like volleyball, where we're always in ankle braces, the coach is preaching that they need to be in ankle braces. Football, where they tend to get their ankle taped each and every day, um, you know, they they come into the off season or they come into training and they're lacking this ankle mobility. They're lacking the range of motion. They're lacking strength at different uh, points in that range of motion. And so, you know, it, it's affecting all things. It's, it's affecting our squatting patterns. It's affecting our, you know, lunging patterns, not to mention, then we get onto the track and we've got to be able to sprint. It's affecting their ability to be reactive off the ground. And if they're getting ready to go into indoor season, I mean, if we're talking about someone who, you know, might be a high jumper or a 200 runner or someone who has to hit those curves at a high velocity, yeah. uh, you know, I can tell you the wear and tear that it puts on your ankles. If you're coming out of a sport where you're already lacking range of motion, I mean, it is just going to make that indoor season uh, just extremely tough on you. So one of the things that we spend a lot of time on is that ankle mobility, but also ankle strength in those different positions. Uh, the other thing, like you talked about, is the hip, you know, working on uh, our ability to, one, have good mobility through the hip because we tend to play in this like three-quarter squat position, this athletic position. And so, you know, that's where we tend to spend a lot of our time. We don't go a lot deeper than that, uh, but we also don't express a lot of force or power uh, in that extended position. Um, and so, you know, just working to, one, get the mobility back, but two, uh, work on that, that expression of power through the full range of motion and not having to, you know, stop early. And so um, those are two of the things that we spent a lot of time on. The, the other issue, uh, and again, I keep coming back to uh, volleyball and football because that's a what a lot of our guys are coming out of right now as they prepare to go into uh, basketball, track, baseball, the shoulder. You know, spending a lot of time making sure that, you know, one, that the shoulder feels good, that it's healthy, especially for our linemen, our outside hitters, um, making sure that the shoulder feels good and healthy. Uh, two, that we're building up that, that shoulder st strength, the stability, um, looking at, you know, where they're at from a movement standpoint. Unfortunately, not a lot of schools down here have full-time strength conditioning coaches. And so their strength training in season was probably a little bit spotty, a little iffy. Um, and so making sure that we're really taking the time that we have to build them back up to where they were going into the season. Um, and they have that good foundation, you know, it's, it's, like a check-in for us, you know, it's uh, just evaluating where they're at as they prepare for that next season and make sure that they're almost, you know, uh, back at, at ground zero uh, and, and ready to compete at whatever sport that is. Yeah. In those situations where you have an athlete that may not have had an in-season strength program, they may not have a, a solid PE foundational strength program or a strength coach on staff, 
it, it becomes important to get them some sort of good strength stimulus in that limited window. And do you have some go-tos as far as strength exercises that you feel allow them? Because the danger is, I want to preface that, is choosing an exercise, loading it up when they're not really prepared to do it. Or are there some exercises that you think are kind of safe to load that allow them to at least get some sort of heavy strength stimulus in that limited window as you're working to improve mobility, stability through these other ranges of motion? Right, right. So, you know, I, I think we have, like anything else, a couple of things that we need to take into account. One, you know, what, again, what is their training age? You know, how long have they been with us? What do we know that they're able to do? Two, what sport are they going into? If they're coming out of football, but getting ready to go into track, and I know that they're, um, say, a, a 60 meter sprinter and a jumper, well, we may not need the same strength stimulus that we needed going into the football season. Uh, so we're going to take some of those things into account. But I'm really going to focus a lot on on some of our unilateral work. You know, it's it's not really a time where I want to get in and get on a heavy trap bar, a heavy squat, because uh, like you said, they, they haven't had that strength stimulus in a while. And so I'm not ready to create this tremendous axial load and throw a bar on their back and just have them, you know, go through these high volume uh, squat programs. I would rather put them in this uh, unilateral position where uh, we're potentially loading it in a goblet position. We're loading it with dumbbells, uh, potentially even just like a weight vest. Um, and so we're not creating as much load on the body, but we're still creating enough load um, per leg in order to have this strength stimulus and build them as we go. You know, again, we talked about some of these athletes that uh, because of the situations we're in, we're going to have them for four, six, eight weeks. We might do some unilateral work for the first week or two, then go bilateral for a while and come back to the unilateral stuff. Um, and so it, it just kind of depends. Uh, some of our younger athletes that uh, we're working with, we know that their, their uh, ceiling is um, or their capacity is not as high uh, just because they've never worked to that point. So we might be able to put them back uh, on some of these heavy bilateral exercises because, again, um, heavy uh, is, is relative, uh, based on who we're working with. But again, you know, like I said, we, we tend to rely a little more on, on some of that unilateral work with our, uh, varsity athletes and get them going on that stuff. Yeah. I think at our end with that situation, a lot of times, um, what you were just saying about trying to create good range of motion, I try to pair in the same day, maybe one exercise that we can load a little heavier and then something else that's going to be a little bit more range of motion. And so I might allow them maybe on a, a belt. We have a belt squat in the facility, which is a nice, really easy squatting pattern where you just kind of feel some weight in your legs. But then if I'm doing that, I'm going to pair it maybe with a rear pedalvid, some sort of lunge patterning, to just really challenging them. And on the contrary, I might do like a 12-inch box step up, which is not overly aggressive on the range of motion. But I, I found a lot of my athletes feel really comfortable to pick a little bit more weight for that exercise versus an 18 inch box or a bench where it starts to get a little wobbly. And then pairing that with that goblet squat, that's a nice deep squat. Or if we're working ankle mobility back, maybe we start with that little ankle elevation with the heels and then we're lowering that down until we can get a nice range of motion on that one. I always feel like for me, my go-to is that little bit of contrast work where it's something a little heavy, then I'm going to go and do some sort of jump and I'm going to do some sort of med ball throw with that 
and just especially in like a three four week period where i don't have a lot of time to really go through all my progressions that i'd like to be able to take them through i want them to be safe number one and i want to be able to express that power that they still might have inside of them they just haven't touched in a, a couple of weeks to possible months um, so that always seems like a a quick go-to for me where I do some sort of maybe medium weight trap bar, some sort of box jump or reactive jump, and then some sort of granny toss, vertical chest toss, broad jump, chest toss. Just kind of string those together where they're starting to really coordinate that, that strength into some power development, even if it's not a full max out or heavy three. Yeah, that's great. I like that. I really like that. Um, so that, I mean, like that's, those are all really good ideas, I think, and just great things that are going on in the facility with athletes that are coming in in limited windows. As so many of us as coaches are starting to run into this situation with college athletes coming back in, like in Chicagoland right now, basketball season suddenly is not happening. And you're going to have athletes in for three, four weeks. You have football guys coming in with a short off season before they get in the track or baseball. And again, it's, it's just that way to, to understand what's being done out there and can you apply it to your situation? There is no perfect answer, but it's what works well in your setting and you can really do well with your athletes. Absolutely, absolutely. I love that. So Steve, um, transitioning kind of into uh, the, the leadership segment for today, you know, one, one of the things that uh, we had talked about last week was different types of leaders and kind of where we see them and the, um, our history with those different personalities and individuals and, and how we would work with them. Um, so today, you know, one, one of the things that I think is important is how we create those scenarios, those opportunities. Um, Cause one of the things that uh, I find difficult is when someone feels like because they don't have a certain title, they can't be a leader uh, because they haven't been around for a certain period of time. They can't step up and lead in certain situations. And so, you know, I think one of the things that is important to uh, take into account is uh, that one, everybody should have the opportunity to lead. Um, and we as coaches need to make sure that uh, there are times that we create uh, those opportunities. So, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear kind of your, your thoughts, your input, you know, why do you feel like uh, it's important for everyone to lead? Um, and, and this is, you know, not just uh, in a, from a team standpoint, not just from an athletic standpoint, but uh, even in business, uh, even from a professional side, you know, what, what is the importance with leading and um, how do we create those opportunities? You know, obviously you and I are in uh, leadership roles, but how do we create those opportunities for individuals either on our staff, uh, in our internship groups, or maybe even with the teams that we're working with? Yeah. I think that's such a huge, huge issue that you run into um, as a coach, especially, is when you're trying to create a situation for others to lead. And why is that valuable? I think that's the, one of the hardest things, because you have to relinquish a little bit of control and put a lot of trust into somebody else to, to run something. And the biggest benefit I can tell you about having other people have opportunities to lead is that you can't be a great follower if you've never tried to lead. It, it's impossible to really understand everything that's going into that, that leader's position and their role and what they're trying to navigate if you've never attempted to do it yourself. I mean, that would be your classic armchair quarterback as they watch a football game on Sunday just saying, oh, you should have done that, you should have that. It's like, well, it's really hard to tell an NFL quarterback what they should have done if you've never played NFL quarterback. 
it's really hard to have all these judgments on someone's leadership if you've not attempted to lead in that situation. And I think that's one of the biggest things, whether you're in the high school setting, you're in the business side, you're just a coach in general trying to earn your stripes. Like the better that you can become a great follower from attempts at leadership that creates a great staff. Uh, Nick, what do you, what do you yeah, think? Is that one of the things that you have seen as well for people when they are not sure about trying to lead things and the value you kind of push on them? Absolutely. You know, I, I think um, a lot of what you're talking about is, is, you know, empathy. Like we, we have to understand the position that, that these people have been in and kind of understand their perspective and, and how they're making decisions. You know, we, we've been in that position where we don't necessarily agree with the decisions that people are making, but we have to understand that we don't have the context that they have. You know, we're not seeing things through the lens that they see them. And I feel like when we've had the opportunity to lead, we understand that sometimes there are things going on behind closed doors that we're not privy to. And sometimes that individual has, um, a background has a history that they're making that decision off of that we really don't have the same context of. And so I, I think that that's a, a really key point. You know, yeah. one of the reasons why I think it's so important for all individuals to lead is, um, and, and again, this is athletics, this is business, um, but learning to have your voice. You know, we, we talked last week about the importance of creating content uh, from a business standpoint, um, because it helps you to synthesize information and to make sure that you understand, to make sure that you can conceptualize some of these ideas. I think the same thing uh, happens with leadership as well. You know, to truly lead, you have to be able to um, understand the personalities you have on your team. You have to truly understand the task at hand and how it needs to be done. You know, we, we a lot of leadership is understanding, you know, point A, point B, how are we going to get there? How are we going to navigate the, the bumps in the road that are inevitably going to occur? You know, giving individuals that opportunity to go through those things, you know, and, and I think that, uh, again, you talk about creating empathy, um, but also, you know, creating that development for yourself. You're, again, creating your voice, uh, but also creating your own um, kind of problem-solving skills. Because we all know that any time that we step up to be a leader, it doesn't always go the way that we want it to. And so we've got to be able to adjust and uh, change courses we need to. So I, I think that's really important for even our young athletes to begin to um, understand and to learn, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I try to do when, when we're in a team setting or a group setting is create those opportunities for those young athletes to, to be leaders. Uh, and so, you know, one exercise that I like to do is if we are, uh, say, grouped up on platforms, we have the workout posted on the board. Uh, well, I'll put one of the freshmen or young athletes on that platform in charge of the platform and explaining the exercises, demoing the exercises, um, explaining what the rotations are going to be like and how people are supposed to move throughout the weight room and, um, you know, making sure that they understand what's going on. And then they become the platform general for the rest of the day. If someone's not doing something properly, if somebody is not transitioning the right way, they are the ones that ultimately have to answer for that. And so, you know, 
know, giving them the opportunity. Because uh, the other piece to this too is you have to be able to, to lead no matter what the personalities are around you or even what the ages are around you. And I think that can be one of the most difficult things for a young athlete or a young professional. You know, I remember um, when I took one of my first managerial positions, I was managing people that were five, 10, even 15 years older than me and, and had significantly more experience with the, the training side. Um, and so that was a really tough pill to swallow for me and for them. Um, and I can tell you that I didn't do it well because I didn't know how to navigate uh, that position. And, and, you know, I, you know, we, we talk about those leadership personalities. I definitely became more of that friendly leader, the, the person who is trying to um, just maintain uh, good feelings in the office and make sure everybody was happy. And uh, because of that, we didn't necessarily do what we needed to do. And so, um, you know, again, I think it's important that we put people in the position to lead uh, so that one, they have experience doing it, uh, but they also understand, you know, what those positions entail. What about for yourself? You know, I know that, you know, you're in uh, a leadership position where you're at. You also work with a number of coaches in the area. You know, what, what has been um, some of your experience uh, with working with those leaders in those positions, uh, but also giving the individuals around you the opportunity to lead? Yeah, I think you were touching on it to a degree, but leadership, one of the biggest components of that is the ability to influence others. And that is such an important piece with the high school athletes is connecting with those kids that you can tell are influencers and talking to them about the opportunity they have to make an impact with those around them. And so you have to have all the kids at times have opportunities to, to try to be leaders, whether they're on the platform or running a drill, a practice, something like that but those true influencers that the kids just kind of gravitate towards. You, we always can tell those kids that we work with. We always can tell those kids and the guys in the office, coaches on the staff that just, you, you're magnetic to those guys. And those ones, we, we got to really help along giving them specific guidance of how to be a leader, not just being a coach rah-rah guy that just says whatever the coach says, but the importance of them really connecting, being intentional about what they're doing, to really help that, that team or that staff in the business world to achieve those goals they're talking about. I think that's one of the biggest things that so many um, coaches need to recognize for sure is that the kids that truly have influence, and it may not be the kid that you want it to be always. Sometimes it's not the hardest working kid. It might be just that guy that's just dynamic or that girl that's just, everyone wants to hang around her. You know, and you can't just write that kid off because they still have a ton of influence on the team. And we got to make sure that we're connecting with those, those athletes and those guys in the job setting as well. Um, one of the things I think it's so important for offering opportunities to lead is to create a challenging leadership opportunity, but not so challenging that it becomes threatening. And because if you're going into that threatening place, you're gonna have a lot of people lean away from it and they're gonna default into what they normally wanna do, which maybe just hide away, uh, make a joke about it, uh, lean into somebody else that's not really having the best interests at hand. And so I think there's so many opportunities with young coaches when you have a young coach on staff to really offer them those situations because a situation for you or I, Nick, might be that we have 150 athletes on a football field and we're all by ourselves. That's not right. threatening. That's, that's easy. 
Like, no problem. We'll get after that. That might be one of the most threatening things on the face of the earth for a young coach who's trying to step out there and lead for the first time and, and kind of get this, this group under control. So if I do that day one with a new coach, I may have set them up to not trust me in the future. Uh, they are now doubting their abilities as a leader um, versus creating a situation where maybe it's 15 athletes and they're a little uncomfortable, but they, they have that nerve, they have that courage to go out there and give it a try and they succeed. And now we can start to add to that. And I think that's such a big, important part of all those opportunities with leadership is creating situations that are challenging to each one of those athletes or staff members or coaches, but not going so far to make it threatening where they're going to want to bail out of that. Because you can turn off some people that might have great potential to be leaders by making their original experience so threatening that they say, like, I'm an imposter. I can't do this. Right. And that was one of the words I thought of when you were talking about, I don't have a title. How can I lead? And I know that I was in that place at one time, whereas I was just chasing that title, chasing that title, chasing those, those levels as a coach where I want to be the director. I want to be the manager. I want to be the top dog. And you get there and you start looking around and you're like, wait a minute. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Like I shouldn't be here. Like, I don't really, why am I in this position? What, what, did, what did someone see in me that want me at this position? And now you start having imposter syndrome where now you're even worse off because you're not even hungry to go where you got to. Now you're doubting and maybe I should go back down. Maybe somebody else should be better. And I think that those are all the, the dangers of that title, um, thinking that because you have the title, people will listen to you when that is a bare, bare minimum uh, level of leadership is I have a title, so you should listen to what I say. Yeah. If that's what you're leaning into in your conversations with people on staff, then you, you need to have a longer conversation with a mentor. Um, you need to talk to somebody that's been there before and really start to dive into that problem. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so good. I think that's so great. And, you know, one, one of the toughest things about, you know, a lot of these things that we talk about, you know, these leadership positions, creating brands, you know, creating a business uh, is that imposter syndrome. That's, that's very difficult. Before we get off this topic, you know, one, one thing to create a little bit of context for everybody, you know, we, we talked last week about the personalities or the leadership styles, you know, we're talking about taking the opportunity to lead. So, from your perspective, you know, what would be the best way, say that there's a young coach, an assistant coach um, who is in a position where uh, the, the um, superior to them and to the staff uh, tends to be a little bit more of a laissez-faire personality, uh, feels like that individual may not be taking initiative when they feel like, you know, that needs to be done. They feel like they're, they're not necessarily that that they're doing it wrong, but they feel like the group could, could really glean from um, a, a little more direction on say a certain task or something like that. How would a coach in that position approach that? How, how do they take the opportunity to step up and lead, have the respect of the others around them, but also not step on the toes of, of that superior? Yeah, I think this is one of the hardest things for anyone to do in this leadership role is trying to lead up and down at the same time while not trying to make the person above them look bad to the people below them to gain their trust by just talking poorly about somebody. Uh, you know, you need to empower that, that entire team together. Where I would start at is if you're leading up, you need to get clarity from the person above you about what the direction is 
of the team, the company, as much clarity as humanly possible about what's going to happen in the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. What actions are you guys going to be doing on a day-to-day basis that are going to help you? What things have gone wrong in the past? That w- These are pitfalls we need to avoid. The clarity you have about what you're trying to do, you have more clarity about what needs to be done each day and each week to take steps towards that. When you're then in a situation where that, that leader might be bending their will a bit because they just want to kind of keep everything easy breezy around the facility or around the office, you have to then lean into them to use that clarity they provided you to say, hey, do you think that what is going on right now is going to help us get closer to this end goal? Is it going to take us closer to our promised land at the end of this that we've said that we're going to try to get to? Like, will you agree to it? We all agree to it. And so now that we have clarity, I see this happening. Is it all right if I go and I'm going to get these guys and hold them accountable to what we need to be doing? Because it's not appropriate for what we're doing right now. And the more clarity you have going up like that, the more they're going to feel thankful, almost I can guarantee it, that you're willing to step up and take that role on to say, I'm going to kind of keep these guys accountable to what we're trying to do day to day. I want to lean into that. I know that as one of your strengths, point to a strength that that person above you has, and then say like, I know that this is not one of the things that you particularly enjoy doing. And I know how important it is for us to keep moving forward for this to get done. And I'm going to take that on to make sure that we keep moving forward. In that way, you have their respect. Then to the person below you, that staff, they know that the, the person above is involved with that decision. You guys are meeting and talking regularly. They know what's coming down is from them. And then kind of reference them saying like, hey, you know, I've been talking with so-and-so. And we're trying to get to this point and what's going around around the facility. It, it's not going to get us there, guys. You know, we talked about we were going to do X, Y, and Z, and we're not doing it. And so we've got to really step it up because that's what we're trying to get to, you know? And I think that that is one of the biggest ways to navigate that and not create bad animosity around the office for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's phenomenal. Well, great. Well, so the, the last thing that we're going to get into today uh, for the business side is building off of what we talked about last week from a personal brand standpoint and developing that personal brand. So we took some time last week and we talked about, you know, why it's important, especially for young coaches, but uh, for all individuals to have their own personal brand, to begin to develop that. So today I want to kind of flesh this out a little bit uh, and talk about how we do this. You know, this is something that we talk to um, our staff members about. This is something we talk to our interns about. This is something that we talk to just young professionals about. So Steve, for you, um, what does it look like uh, for either yourself or for uh, the coaches around you or for your interns to begin to develop this personal brand and, and to develop these, these platforms and content and things like that? What, where do you typically have them start? The first thing that we look at is a portion of training that is particularly passionate to you. And let's try to create some content around that. And I know that we touched on that last week with kind of the the projects we might have our interns do. But I think it's difficult when you look at the entire spectrum of everything that's done in the field and you go through all of these different coaches that have touched on these subjects. So at first saying, I'm really interested in vertical jumping. Perfect. All right, well, now let's try to explore vertical jumping and let's try to figure out if you enjoy putting together some drills that work well for vertical jumping, 
Do you enjoy talking about concepts that are complicated and you're going to make them simple? Uh, do you just like filming people doing videos and then showing breakdowns of what they're doing technique wise? There, there's so many things you can do within that. And so we encourage our interns and our young coaches to start exploring just different topics and becoming pseudo experts on that topic because of the research they're going to put into it, the amount of video they're going to watch, and then start to put together a little content on that and see if one of those really starts to spark your interest about something you're really, really engaged with. One of the examples I have right now is a young coach, uh, Matt Tomatz, who's on staff, big sports science guy coming from the college sector, really passionate about going back to the college sector and going to the pro sector at some point. And he's been back and he was struggling a little bit with not working with those types of athletes. Uh, back in the private side, you're working with youths, you're working with middle school, you're working with high school, and none of those are pro. And so I was challenging him with, well, can you apply sports science to youths and try to create some sort of experiments that you're doing with youth athletes? They don't even know they're doing an experiment done with them, but you are collecting data on them. And so he has almost 180 completely about his, his thought process about these youths. And he's now producing content that he's posting on Twitter, on YouTube, on Instagram about, I did this with youths for four weeks and this is what I saw happen. And now he's becoming a youth guy and he's on Twitter. He's interacting with a bunch of the other youth coaches around the country that are those guys that specialize in that nine to 14 age group and tagging them in videos, having conversations, but it was cause he just tried it. He didn't know if it was going to be where he liked, he thought he was going to like something else. And it, that's one of the important things for us is just explore it, try it a little bit. Where do you guys start on your end when you're really developing that personal brand? Yeah, so I, th I think that just like you hit on, I think that's a great place to start. Um, you know, it's selecting that topic that that you feel like you want to um, you want to to be the person on. You know, the thing that you're passionate about. Uh, there was um, a message that I got from Will Fleming a, a couple weeks ago, and he talked about all of the different things that he tried to make his niche. You know, he, he talked about how he wanted it to become uh, throwing and he talked about how he wanted it to just be sports performance. And he talked about he talked about all of these different things before he finally came back to Olympic lifting. And now, I mean, he's known around the world for what he does from Olympic Olympic lifting standpoint. But it took him almost 10 or 12 years to get to that point. Yeah. And so. You know, I talk with a lot of our young coaches and interns about, listen, this, this doesn't have to be the final stop. It's just where you're at right now. If nothing else, again, you're taking the time to understand what it means to really research a topic and to become, you know, a, a thought leader in that area. Uh, and so, again, this isn't something that's going to happen overnight. So, one, it's, it's finding the topic that for now you're going to sit on. Um, but the other piece to it is, what are you comfortable with? What, what do you feel good about? Because not everybody um, feels like they need to write. Not everybody feels comfortable on camera. Not everybody has all of the social media platforms and feels good posting to all of those. And so, you know, I think it's one selecting your topic, but 
to selecting your platform and, and selecting how you're going to publish that content. If you are a, a really good writer, then great, you should be writing. Uh, you know, I don't know if you follow any of Tony Gentlecore's stuff, but Tony is a phenomenal writer because he is so good at infusing his personality into the, the text that he's putting out there. And so you can feel his passion for things. And I think that that's, you know, it's, it's great that he does that. Uh, there are some other individuals that they're phenomenal on camera. They're, they're great at interacting with the people that are watching and putting their personality into it. Uh, and, and from the same, you know, by the same token, there are some individuals that are great with podcasts. They're great at uh, one, being able to speak and explain what they have going on. Uh, there are individuals that are just great at interviewing other coaches and other professionals because they truly have uh you know, a, a wondering about what they have going on and what they're doing in their facility. And so, you know, we shouldn't be trying to do everything. We should try and figure yeah. out what we're most comfortable with and spend our time doing that. You know, and the same thing goes for social media. You don't have to be the best at Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and on TikTok and on Snapchat. Figure out, you know, where you're most comfortable, where your audience is, and, and how you can get your message across. And I think that that's the other piece too, is figuring out your audience. You know, if you are trying to speak to the parents of the athletes that you have in your facility, well, then TikTok probably isn't the place to be, you know, and Snapchat probably isn't the place to be, but Facebook is probably where you're going to see a lot of them. So understanding who your audience is, and, and that's also going to dictate your content. You know, if I'm speaking to, you know, our, uh, our parents, we're not going to talk about a lot of anatomical terms. We're not going to talk about, uh, you know, pronation and supination, and we're not going to get into the weeds on a lot of these things because, you know, they're going to spend too much time trying to grasp a lot of these concepts. Keep it simple. Whereas, you know, if, if you're a guy like Matt and you're talking to other coaches and, and individuals that are out there, then great. Let's get specific. Let's, let's break down the physiology. Let's break down a lot of the kinematics of, of movement and things like that. But understand who your audience is, who you're speaking to, and then adjust your tone based on that. So, yeah. you know, I, I think it's important to, to know, you know, what you're comfortable with from a, from a, um, a topic standpoint, uh, what you're comfortable with as far as a, a platform and a medium, uh, but also recognizing who your audience is. Yeah, I think that's huge. The, the audience piece for us, we talk about that so much where it's the parents on Facebook, that your athletes are going to be a lot of the ones on Instagram, but parents are moving on to Instagram. Coaches have some work on Instagram. Twitter, a lot of coach interaction on that. And then you're going to have the official like recruiting pages for a lot of your high school athletes that you can share some of those videos that they really appreciate. TikTok is so new. It's mostly the younger population, but I mean, like it's, it's spread quickly relative to so many other social media platforms that took years to really get going. It seems like it's something that's happened in the last like two years. It's really gone fast, but you also have LinkedIn that can be another spot for the professional interactions. You can have your website where you have a blog that people like to read, they'll watch that. YouTube allows you to have a blog going. And just understanding like what populations and demographics will be viewing that the most. And then what kind of content are you gonna be doing that fits that mold really, really nicely? Like on Instagram, I, I post a ton of just athlete highlight clips. That's pretty much 90% of what I post on Instagram. You know, some coaches 
use Instagram because they want to do exercise demos. Uh, some will just primarily show stuff in their stories. Some will post stuff on their feeds. And all of that constantly evolves. And so at the beginning, when I get so many questions from our younger staff about like, when should I post this? What should I post? I'm like, just start posting some stuff. Start posting some stuff. And that's the biggest like, piece of advice I can give them as they're really attempting this is don't get caught up in the analytics of it at first. One, you don't have a following, so it doesn't even matter. You're not getting paid off of any of this, so that doesn't matter either. You know, you got to look at like, why are you even using that brand? And I think that's an important piece too with that is, are we using it just to socialize? That might just be your friends that you're kind of hanging out with. Are you using it to engage with athletes that you currently train? Are you using it to engage with future athletes? Are you using it to engage with coaches to just network and share ideas? Are you engaging with coaches with the intent of someday having a job with one of these coaches? You know, I think there's, there's so many thoughts that go on to like the interactions you're trying to stir as well. And that will direct the language you use in your posts and the type of posts that you're posting longer term. But at first you've got to just start putting some stuff out there and you'll see what organically starts to happen. And then the phrase we use um, a lot and laugh around our facility is like, there's a lot of intentionality behind organic interactions where you're doing a lot of stuff on your end to then hopefully have somebody go, Oh, Hey, that was a nice little post you did. I just noticed that. But in actuality, you spent hours creating this whole situation that hopefully someone would reach out and say something like that. And so I think there's a lot that you have to think about when you really get serious about your brand and the direction you're taking it. But at first it's more of just, you got to get started and just start putting some stuff out there, be a little vulnerable and have some courage. Some of it might be great. Some might get negative feedback. Some will get positive feedback. Most will get no feedback whatsoever. Um, but go into it with that, that eagerness to, to learn and get better at it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. So with this same train of thought, you know, how we are uh, dispensing information and, um, trying to constantly give back and, and help educate others that are around us, you know, we obviously have to be bringing information in. And so, you know, what, what are some of the things that you're consuming right now? You know, what, what is your own continuing education look like? Yeah. You know, like mine, I know that it's important at all times to be consuming something. And the, the dangerous thing I have at times, that's a, a personal fault of my own is I will go into these modes of just intense consumption and I will just devour things and I apply nothing, but it just sits in my brain. And so throughout the years, I'll take like a little bit of time away from like reading too much. So this current place, I'm not reading a ton of books because I'll start just when I feel like I'm just mowing through stuff and not really consuming it. I'm like, all right, I need to slow down and take a minute here and just kind of refocus. Um, so that was a ton of like leadership development books. I was just eating up and it was like, all right, I need to stop that. I'm re going through leader kit, um, program with Jeremy Boone, going through the, the modules, um, through that education process that I've gone through about seven, eight times now, but just going back through that to make sure I'm applying it the best that I can. And that's the leader kit program. But on the coaching side, it's actually the con like the converse of that. Like I am actually excited about some of the training things. Cause you get into that place where you're just surviving that COVID situation all summer long. I wasn't really trying to do new things, just trying to get through the days. And now we're kind of settling into this rhythm where it's like, all right, I can start to learn some new things. So um, just over the holiday, Altus had some programs. 
that were available. So we picked up a little bit of their, their jumping work. We don't work with a lot of jumpers, but I think that applies a lot to um, any athlete is just takeoffs. The same from um, uh, tra uh, track field or the track football consortium, sorry, the TFC with Chris Corpus. Um, they were offering a discount on some of their programs that I picked up to start looking at just different drill application type things is what is always kind of a, an interesting thing. Altus I look at for the philosophy side of it a lot with Dan Pfaff. Um, on the speed side, foundational type jumping, rudimentary series, um, general concepts of just shapes that he's always talking about. I find that very valuable when I'm training sprinting. And then Chris Corpus is so creative with the drill work that he comes up with in his basement that can be really replicable in small groups or even with track teams. And I think it's nice to have those drills when you already have a nice lens of what you do and how these drills fit in. And so I'll be devouring those in the next coming weeks. But um, those are two of the big things that I'm spending time on. I know, Nick, you are a, a reading machine as well. And you're always kind of in one or two books. What, what are you kind of devouring right now? Yeah. Well, I, th I think that, you know, the resources that you talked about are, are tremendous. Uh, you know, I, I think both those individuals are just um, extremely knowledgeable and I try and get my hands on anything they put out. Uh, but yeah, I, I do try to have a couple of books going um, at a time. You know, I always have uh, some type of business type book that I'm trying to get into, uh, always some type of training book that I'm trying to get into. And so right now for me, um, one of the books that I actually just got into this weekend uh, was Range by David Epstein. Uh, so one of the things, especially in our industry that a lot of people talk about is uh, having a niche and having, you know, a specific area that we're trying to get into and we're trying to uh, be an expert in. And, and this book talks about the flip side of that and how actually being more of a generalist helps you and actually helps society a little bit more. And when people tend to get so deep in their trenches, they don't take a second to climb out and look in someone else's trench and say, oh, I, I think that would actually help me and what I'm stuck on. Um, and so taking some time to be a little bit more of a generalist at times. And so I'm, I'm really enjoying that read. Um, I'm going back through uh, Movement Over Maxes uh, by Zach DeChant, uh, the strength coach for baseball at TCU, um, and, and picking up a couple of things out of there. Uh, so really enjoying that. Um, another thing that just came out is Will Fleming came out with an Olympic lifting programming um, book. And so uh, just picked that up and, and uh, really haven't cracked it yet, but uh, just gone through some of the topics and things in there and, and have enjoyed what I've looked at so far. And so, um, you know, th those are a couple of the things that uh, I'm, I'm in right now and really enjoying. You know, I did pick up some things uh, over the uh, holiday with Black Friday and, and Cyber Monday going on. And so looking forward to getting into some of those. But, you know, as you know, within the sports performance sector, you know, we have these ebbs and flows throughout the year. Uh, and the summer is so busy that, you know, I just feel like you're barely just trying to you know, catch your breath from week to week. And then we get into the fall and the winter and things tend to slow down. And so this is the time when I really love to get into some of these books, get into some of these uh, teaching programs, uh, spend a little more time in some research. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really enjoying being a part of that before we get into the spring and, and things start to kick back up again. Yeah, I love that. And I know, Nick, we were talking about just some up uh, upcoming speaking engagements if people are looking to kind of connect with us, but also hear a little bit of the content that you're doing in a professional setting, what did you have coming up in the near future? 
Sure. So, you know, obviously I've got um, some information that's always coming out. You know, I've got a weekly blog that's out, whether you go to brattonsportsperformance.com or you go to my website, nickbratton.com. But a couple of speaking engagements that are coming up. I'll be speaking at the Hutto Sports Performance Clinic uh, in Austin, Texas on January 22nd. That's a Friday. Um, That should be a a great event. Um, I'll also be hosting a conference the first weekend of February uh, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, and we're going to have a, a number of coaches that are there. We're going to host it at Catholic High School. This is going to be for the NHSSCA, Louisiana State Clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's going to be, like I said, at Catholic High School. They have a brand-new weight room, just beautiful place there. The head strength coach, Matt Bruce, is a great guy and, and puts out some uh, incredible content. And so uh, those are going to be a couple of events that are going on. And so if anybody is in the uh, southeast region uh, and would like to come on by one of those, like I said, I, I know that they're going to be great opportunities to one, pick up a little information, but uh, even from a networking side, you know, I know that COVID and quarantine has really kind of locked everybody down. Um, as of right now, we plan on having those events in person. And so uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to just getting together with coaches again. Yeah, I know that was one of the things that kind of hurt us in the Chicago land and the Illinois side of the NHS SCA is trying to get something scheduled where we could meet together and quickly it was like all right well this clearly is not happening and then in our own facility we usually try to host some sort of clinic in house during this fall uh spring time and again like okay we gotta put the brakes on that so i know it's going to be something that when we're all able to get together again i think there's going to be a big influence on our big influx and in coaches just wanting to spend time together um i know i just had a conversation the other day just a coach when you said just a great opportunity to network somebody reached out on Twitter and said, Hey, I was at a clinic that you spoke at last year. And I remember you talked about this and just said, Hey, if you have any chance, can we connect? You know, I think that's one of the best things about those events is you do a little talk on agility. You do a talk on linear speed development. Somebody's there, they remember it. And then later on, you're going to have that need where you're like, Oh man, I'd love to follow up and just know we're open, reach out. Like that is, one of the easiest ways to connect is just say like, Hey, I was at that clinic. I heard you talk about this. I'd love to learn a little bit more. I'd love to have it in my context, look at it for what my situation is and let's figure that out. So Nick, when someone has that, what's the best way if that's their situation to reach out to you directly? Sure. So there, there's an endless number of ways to get a hold of me. You know, obviously through social media, um, you know, we have our Bratton Sports Performance account on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I also have uh, Nick.Bratton on uh, Instagram, last name B-R-A-T-T-A-I-N. Uh, you can also get a hold of me through my website, uh, NickBratton.com. Um, like I said, I'm constantly putting information up there and uh, would love to connect with anybody, work with you guys, um, whether it's training or the business side of things and, and helping you to uh, get your business or gym up off the ground or really work through some of the the struggling times that we're having right now with COVID and constantly going back between, uh, you know, in-person training and virtual training. And, and, and it's a tough thing to navigate. Uh, and so, you know, just being able to help out in any way that I can. Uh, Steve, what about yourself? How, how can we uh, get in touch with you to get follow up? Yeah. Um, shoot me a message on Twitter or Instagram at Steve B. Stein. Usually the, the easiest way to get a hold of me. Uh, my emails are linked to that. So if you're looking to send an email, you can find my email straight through that. And excited that uh, as we're going through this process of developing the Business of Speed podcast, 
and beyond. Uh, the Business of Speed has an Instagram as well and a Twitter. So give that a follow. Uh, YouTube page is up as well. We're trying to create as many platforms as possible to provide content that's easy to find. And then you can find whatever is the best for you to consume. You know, if you love watching videos, if you love reading blogs, if you love just hearing audio, we're trying to provide content in any way possible. And again, the whole point is always to create a connection so that then we can have a conversation that's gonna tell us more about your personal situation and how we can help. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Steve, I uh, think that's a great episode. And uh, again, to everyone who is looking for a little more help, a little more information on some of the things that were talked about, uh, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to help you guys out.